percent of the time it works every time. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. I drink your milkshake. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Cinefleck. I am your host, Ethan Colburn. Uh, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, this is a very, very exciting episode for me. Um, Carla has been a cooking inspiration for me for a long time. I reached out, and I was so happy to hear that she was excited to talk to me, uh, speak to me on this podcast. So, um we talked about the movie Parasite on this episode. This is a conversation that the first half is about uh, cooking in general, some questions about her cookbook and her career. So um, I hope to have a deeper dive into the movie Parasite at some point in the future on this podcast because uh, I just have to warn you guys, <laughs> especially because uh, people tend to really like parasite that uh it's it's not necessarily a super extreme deep dive on the movie though we do touch on a few uh interesting elements of it so um yeah i really hope you enjoy this episode um please remember to rate us on itunes it really helps i love reading your guys's comments um and uh rate us on spotify now because apparently that's the thing you can do um, and check out my Instagram page, which I'll have a link for in the bio, uh, to keep up to date with latest on new episodes and, uh, just random other polls I'll post on the Instagram story, all that good stuff. So without further ado, let me throw you into this week's episode. I hope you enjoy All right, Carla, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, so we're talking, we're talking a bit about Parasite today. We're talking about um, Ramdan, Japaguri. Uh, what quite inspired you to talk about Parasite today? I was thinking about movies that have really significant food scenes that yeah. aren't necessarily food movies. Yeah. And whenever there's food in a movie, of course, like my ears prick up a little bit because like it's exciting to me to watch how the food stylist like handles those scenes. Right. And usually food movies are really irritating to watch because everything is like so staged and weird and like obviously not, you know, natural to the character. Yeah. Um, but this but then there are scenes where just food is part of the movie. And I feel like this scene in Parasite was definitely a good example of that where there's food, <laughs> but it's really not about the food. It's like what's happening with the characters. Totally, totally. Yeah. And this and this dish is so fascinating because um, this is something I, I totally did not pick up until I was doing more reading on it is this idea of the dish representing the class disparity. Mm-hmm. Um, but putting, putting, putting the, uh, the nice beef in with the sort of cheap ramen right. noodles kind of, kind of representing, uh, this family wanting to live like the rest of society, but also like put their like fancy touch on things. It's such a totally. fun way to. Yeah. I think it's like that. I didn't know that about the dish either. And obviously when the movie came out, the dish like took the world by storm because um, it's such an insane scene. First of all, like it's such a pivotal 
shift in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like everything changes like in that scene, but the dish watching her make it, you're like, oh, I can make that. You know what I mean? So like everybody who saw it was like, what is that? Like it was packaged noodles. You know, she cuts the steak up super fast and then they are home in eight minutes. You know, the family comes back eight minutes later and they're eating and it looks really appetizing. (laughs) And then everybody wanted to make it. But um, yeah, I had the same experience, like not really knowing what the dish was and then um, reading up on it and learning about it. And it's not just one package noodle, it's two that are like blended. Um, so one is a ramen style noodle and the other one has like a slightly thicker udon noodle. And then the two flavors blending, like makes a new flavor, but yeah, then they put like ribeye into it or whatever it is. Yeah. 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 Fancy, fancy beef. Um, oh yeah. The recipe that, that, that you sent me for this, um, was by Mongchi. Is that, is that my Mongchi? Mongchi. She is, she's so awesome. I was not yeah. aware of her videos. Um, how long have you known about her? Like what's, have, have, have you, have, have you tried any of her other recipes? Yeah. I've known about her for years and years and years. She first had yeah. a blog and her blog was like massive. So I think she was one of the like first, you know, bloggers who specialized in Korean cuisine, who was like, um, you know, reaching out to an English speaking audience that I was aware of. And then she's gone on, then she started making the, you know, having her YouTube channel. And I think she's written two cookbooks and they were both bestsellers. Um, But I have cooked her dishes before. I love Korean food. I love eating Korean food. And I'm just starting to um, learn how to cook Korean at home through like cookbooks and other people's recipes. So she's one who her recipes are always like really straightforward and have tons of steps and explain everything. And like, she always gives um, shopping advice. If you're at H Mart and you're not sure, like, do I get this one or this one? Um, And then she's also just like an icon. She's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) She's so like bubbly in her videos. It's it's so, it's so fun to watch. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. um, I was going to ask you, so what are some of your favorite cookbooks right now? Oh, great question. Um, I'm actually, my laptop is like always sitting on a stack of whatever the latest (laughs) books that have been sent to me. Um, I, I mean, for Korean food, I've been using Sui Kim's, um, Korean, I think it's called Korean food at home or Korean home cooking. Um, and she, the recipes are really beautiful and there's also like great um, shopping advice in that one too. Um, another book I cooked out of a lot during the pandemic was Hetty McKinnon's uh, To Asia With Love, um, which is great vegetarian and and very, she really has her own style. So it, I actually had the book for weeks and weeks before I realized that it was vegetarian. Like you don't notice it, but she's someone who um, makes me think I could like make my own dumplings which like you know is very intimidating as a as a <laughs> process but i'm like she makes it look again like super super easy yeah that's awesome that's so fun that's awesome i was going to say one of the things that i love about your cookbooks and your videos are that um you always give tips and tricks on how to change things like oh what if you don't have this but you have this yeah okay yeah. go ahead and do that and 
um, it makes cooking way less intimidating and much more creative. So I definitely love that. Thank you. Yeah, that's the spin it section, which I started doing in my first book, um, Where Cooking Begins. And I, I really didn't have the intention to write spinets, those ingredient um, suggestions into every single recipe until I started developing the book. Um, and I was cooking a lot of dishes that I, I've made many, many times before at home. And I remember like, one specific recipe starting to cook it and realizing like I didn't have you know the ingredient that I had in mind I think it was like I didn't have celery but I had fennel and I was like well I've made it with fennel like a bunch of times so I'll just use fennel and then it occurred to me like I wouldn't make somebody go out to the store to go buy celery so like why would I write it in a way that makes you think it's only going to taste good if you do it this one way um, and so that led to the idea of spinets and they're, they're in every recipe in that book and in that sounds so good. And it's like, it's funny because I, beginner cooks or more cooks who need more reassurance, I would say, and not necessarily beginners. There's some people who really like to follow recipes and just feel more confident when they're following a recipe. Um, those cooks really like it because it's like, they're not worried as much about making a change or like, you know, that feeling when you open your spice drawer and you're like, Oh, I thought I had paprika, but I don't, you know, <laughs> now what yeah. do I not, am I not making this for dinner? Mm -hmm. um, so sort of giving those cooks permission to like go off script. But then I've also gotten feedback from, from cooks who are very experienced and really just cook out of cookbooks to get ideas or like they might skim the ingredient list and like look at the dish and be like, I get the basic idea. Those cooks are like, yeah, that's how I cook too. I would just riff, you know, and, and feel creative. So yeah, um, it's fun for me. It's definitely true to the way that I cook. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. Um, so what's the process of, you know, putting together a cookbook like, how long does it take? And yeah, it takes about two years from like the moment you sell your proposal until your book comes out is about 20 months, two years, depends like where in the cycle you are with the publishing um, release, but I would say two years in general. Mm -hmm. And uh, the first stage is different really for everybody, depending on your, your recipe development process. For me, um, with that sounds so good the first step for me was figuring out the structure of the book and what the chapters were going to be and kind of just working from like very broad to like very specific so i figured out the basic structure was going to be monday through friday or monday through thursday and then friday and the weekend was going to be how i divided the recipes and then from there it was like okay well what chapters live in all of those worlds right like monday through thursday was like big salads and stovetop suppers and Friday in the weekend is like your Sunday's soup and stew and, you know, grilling, like those things then live in the weekend for me. And then it was just drilling down to like what recipes were going to be in each of those chapters. And that was sort of was an outline. Once I had that and I was pretty happy, I would literally just like wake up in the morning and look at the list and be like, okay, what do I feel like? What am I going to make today? Yeah. Um, and then it depends, like a recipe could be, if it's something that's kind of in my repertoire that I've made a bunch, I'm kind of cooking it to get weights and measures and time, exact timing and like some visual stuff, like taking notes on that. Um, 
but I know what it's going to come out looking and tasting like. And then there were other recipes that I had never made before. They were just ideas. Mm -hmm. And those, you know, you make once and you're like, "Mm, okay, (laughs) not exactly what I was going for. And then tweak it. Like, you know, it could take two or three times. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then after that, there's photography. Oh yeah. No, go ahead. Is, is it hard when you're putting up, putting out like clips all the time on YouTube to like come up with new recipes? Because I, I, I assume you're using ideas that you have as you're going all the time. And then just to be like, I'm, I'm going to develop yeah. recipes just for a book must be totally, totally different brain yeah. space. So I'm fortunate right now. My book is recently out. So I have a hundred recipes that then I can draw from to create video content. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the process of writing the book, like I was out of ideas. Do you know what I mean? I'm just like, totally. cool, <laughs> you know, I got nothing. So <laughs> it takes like, you really get through that. And then having the opportunity and like the moments in my life to like play around in the kitchen again, mm-hmm. instead of so focused on like, being on deadline, having to get a certain quantity of recipes done in a certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I sometimes I'll have a new idea for a recipe. Like when I'm working on YouTube stuff and I'm like, okay, <laughs> I still got it. Like <laughs> I haven't made that before. Like that's a new dish, you know? Um, but overall, yeah, I feel sort of tapped, tapped out of the, creative part of developing recipes, but then um, I'm lucky enough to have this other outlet. So it's really fun to then demonstrate and like perform the recipe for a visual medium, which I hadn't done while working on the book. Yeah. 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 And then for your book with the food staging, do you do it yourself or do you have someone come in and help you with that? Um, definitely for the book, I worked with a food stylist. Um, her name's Susie Theodoro, and uh, she did both my books with me. She's amazing uh, food stylist. She's written many books of her own. She's been doing this for decades, and she's so good at her job. Um, with a cookbook, I have friends who have styled their own books, and it's incredible, um, but it's kind of like having twins, like I'm a parent and I understand the idea of having one child, but like the people have two, I'm like, that's the kind of parenting that I'm not familiar with. Um, (laughs) So like food styling for a book, it's just, you're juggling, you know, you're trying to shoot maybe eight or 10 recipes in one day. So for me, like stressing about out about what's happening in the kitchen and being super present to see what's happening on set, and I'm just not as good of a food stylist as Susie. Like you just want your food to look as good as it can. Um, and I'm not like too, too egotistical to know that like, it's going to look better if she styles it, mm-hmm. you know, I can make it taste good. <laughs> and then when it's like time to put it on the plate, I'm like, just, you know, she'll like create these beautiful shapes and the like, colors and like, you know, yeah, it's yeah. a different world. Yeah. It's a different, it's a different thing for sure. Um, that's so interesting. So, so having, having worked at a restaurant, you know, like I, I would, I would talk to the chefs all the time just because it was always, it was always fun. But, um, but I found that like half of them, like just, just like all they ate when they got home was like instant ramen kind of things done with cooking. And then half of them were like, 
oh, like I've got this big like roast coming this Sunday, you know, like I'm, I'm really like, like they, they're so passionate about it on their free time. You, you strike me as someone that's like very passionate about it outside of what you do, but like, how, how do you kind of like separate work from that and still keep it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, when I was a line cook, I had no food in the fridge. Like I would come home and get a piece of pizza or like a Snickers bar, you know, you just don't because cooking is like 14 hours a day, six days a week. So on my time off, I like the last thing I wanted to do was cook. Um, Developing for editorial is a little bit different um, just because it's not as grueling, you know, and it's, you're not coming out of like a physically exhausting. I mean, it's demanding. but that kind of physically exhausting pressure cooker of working in a restaurant. So a lot of my recipes are inspired by what I make at home. Um, And when I was developing the books, like we ate everything that I was developing and I developed that sounds so good during the pandemic. Like the, I literally um, started developing recipes in like December, November, December of 2019. So Mm -hmm. I was, barely into it in March. And then my kids were home, my spouse was home. And I was like, we're eating whatever is going in the book. Yeah. And they were like, okay. (laughs) But it was a good way to really road test everything and really think about the realities of cooking at home every night and Mm -hmm. how many dishes I was making and how many ingredients something called for and, you know, things being harder to get for sure that spin it was like really helpful because mm-hmm. there were days when like you just couldn't get you would go to the store thinking you could get one thing and it's like definitely not there or mm-hmm. you know trying to shop less so getting more bigger batches of ingredients at a time yeah 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 no that totally makes sense I never thought yeah. about the shortages being yeah. an issue <laughs> writing a cookbook that's so funny there was like I mean I had to wait to develop the pastry, the dessert recipe, because there were months you could not get all-purpose flour. Oh period. yeah, everyone was everyone was buying up all the flour. All the flour was gone, and like I didn't use, I didn't call for yeast in anything, but there was no yeast. Like everyone decided to start a sourdough or to start baking bread with yeast. So I waited. I was like, I need to get all-purpose flour at a certain point. <laughs> I'll do the. <laughs> I'll do the dessert chapter last, I guess. That's, that's so funny. Interesting. Yeah. No, that's fascinating. Um, to pivot a little bit. Um, I was first sort of introduced to you during, during your time at the Bon Appetit YouTube channel and all that. Um, and I, I, I just, I loved, I loved that back-to-back, uh, chef series you did. Yeah. Um, has there like one celebrity guest that was particularly intimidating or like, do you have any fun stories just from filming that? Totally. Yeah. I think the most intimidating was really um, the first one I did, which was Natalie Portman. Oh, yeah. And they I could, actually it was the second one. I had done one with Marlon Wayans, which was the very first one where I became the host. And that one was bizarre in a lot of ways, notably because the the reason this series was so successful was that they had done it with Gordon Ramsay before pivoting. Mm-hmm. So it was Gordon Ramsay paired with like a civilian and the the kind of narrative tension was that 
the cook couldn't keep up with Gordon Ramsay. I mean, of course. So at the end, and so that was what was funny about it was like Gordon was doing one thing and then you cut to the other guy and it's like a disaster, right? So then they realized it was really hard to constantly find celebrity chefs who were going to, you know, work, right? Right. And so they sw- they flipped the concept to be like me, it's always me with a celebrity. So the ce- we were constantly working through and they didn't have to be celebrity chefs, they're just celebrities like there's always a movie coming out, there's always a show coming out, there's always people on press, you know, tours, whatever. Um but the first one was with Marlon Wayans and they coached me to act like Gordon, right? So my notes they were like just just act like Gordon and you'll be fine. And I was like, but <laughs> like not, he's yeah. Gordon Ramsay. And like, that's not, you know, we were already making videos and I was like, all of our other videos were like trying to encourage people and enable them and like teach them. And now you want me to like be a, a psycho, you know? And they were like, no, it's going to be great. Just like, don't worry about it. Just like, so during the shoot, they were kind of jumping in to be like, okay, Carla, like, you know, tell Marlon like he needs to catch up or like you're ahead of him or you don't hear the whisk in the bowl. And and they really like cut out all of the funny, all of the parts of the video where like he made me laugh or we were joking around or like it was. And so in the final cut, it looks like I'm like berating him basically. Mm. It just totally didn't work. And I was uncomfortable and the audience hated it. And I still get messages from people who are like, why are you, why are you such like, why are you so obnoxious and mean to Marlon Wayans? Like, and I'm like, cause they told me, I didn't know how to say like, I don't, but after that, when I was like, I don't want to do it like that. I think that it will be fun because the viewer is going to identify with a celebrity and that's great. It's, it's more like a celebrities. They're just like us or like, (laughs) what's yes. in your bag like where you're like oh i keep chapstick in my purse too so i'm just like angelina jolie um <laughs> so the next one where i was like i want to be in, i want the goal to be that this person who might not cook but is very famous for a different skill um when we turn around and show each other our dishes they're going to be the same right that'll be awesome so the first person after that was Natalie Portman. And I was just like, you guys are kidding. I thought they were pulling my leg. I thought it was, they were like, oh, Carla, we booked the next back-to-back chef. It's Natalie Portman. I was like, oh, that's really funny, Natalie Portman. They were like, no, it's Natalie Portman. And like, she's vegan. So we have to figure out, you know, what the dish is going to be. Um, so I was sweating bullets, you know, and had come up with this idea for a dish that would be fun to watch because we had like watermelons and we had to crack coconuts and use mandolins and all this stuff. And then she walked into the kitchen and she was like, Oh my God, I'm so nervous. And I was like, you're Natalie. Well, you're not nervous. You're like Natalie Portman. <laughs> and I was like, what? She was like, I don't cook at all. And I was like, Oh, like at least I know how to do that. You know? So once we started, um, it is a very equalizing thing. And then you're like cooking together. So, and she did amazing. Um, and it's funny, the first thing we did, I guess, was try to crack open the coconuts. And um, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so we have like screwdrivers in the eye of the coconut and a ha- literal hammer or mallet. And on my like second or third 
tap on, or you know hitting the screwdriver to hit it into the coconut i just 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 totally missed and like slammed the mallet into my um thumb and was like i have to keep go- i like can't even show that you know i just <laughs> wha- whacked myself with this so um oh my god so you were just in pain the rest of that shoot not like the rest of the time but like initially the shock of like <laughs> hammering your thumb basically um but i was like you just got to keep on going girl because we can't and then and then when we were using mandolins she had security there you know and i'm like am i insane like i gave <laughs> natalie portman like a a, a a vegetable guillotine you know that like people lose like chunks of their fingers off all the time and i was just like what <laughs> what have i done this is her hands are was... worth five million each exactly <laughs> oh my god that is so, so yeah everyone was um it was just always really fun to shoot those and um there were some people who were better cooks you know and when it was a when we knew that the other person was a pretty good cook on on their own we would try to like level up the difficulty so that it was hard for me but it would also be hard for them to keep up and that you know made it fun too Mm -hmm. um why am i blanking on his name oh michael shannon oh he's he's i'm obsessed with him Ter- terrifying like he is as scary in person as he is like as a character like i was yeah, I so <laughs> i was like haha like just be you know i have no other like you know switch to turn on i'm just like being goofy dork and i'm like yeah and he was just like hello and i was like oh my god like <laughs> so but we made fried chicken we made hot chicken together and like he was really good at it. Like it was, there was no, you know, there was really no tension. He was like keeping up perfectly. And, and then at the end, usually most people, we like wrap, we take a bite, we do the outro and it's like, so fun. Thank you for coming. And like they leave and he just stayed at the little rolling table that we kind of wheel into the kitchen for that last shot where we taste the food. And he just like sat there and like ate the entire like he ate like four or five pieces of chicken and was just like i really love fried chicken and just like hung out and ate and i was like i love that you know <laughs> like, he so really awesome. likes food no that totally reminds me of there was this there was this photo of him that went viral after after shape of water won the oscar and like i think he had to be like in new york for some reason because he's on broadway and he's just sitting in a bar watching on like a tiny like cube you know standard definition tv <laughs> his movie win the oscar <laughs> yep absolutely fantastic i'd expect nothing less um, he was cool yeah, yeah. i imagine still scary but yeah. totally yeah um so we have no dishwasher and so okay. we're we're always washing dishes by hand and but we also love to throw dinner parties and we were curious if you had a dish that you love to scale up that's minimal dishes Mm. yeah i would say like any you know you want to do something one pot right whereas many of the elements of the dish can be made in one thing Mm -hmm. it also if budget allows another thing that is so helpful for dinner parties is to just rent plates and um silverware mm-hmm. and glasses 
Cause like, that's the thing that kills you after a dinner party is like all of the glasses, all of the forks and knives, like all of that annoying, those are annoying to wash mm -hmm. and they take up a lot of room. Um, or make people like bring, <laughs> I've never, mm -hmm. I have done this actually. Like we have eight, I think we have eight forks and eight knives. So if it's ever more than that, I'm like, bring like, can you bring like four or six of your own forks and knives? Um, there are two dishes from That Sounds So Good that come to mind. Mm -hmm. One is the hands-off um, pork and beans, which is a dish with black-eyed peas and a pork shoulder, pork butt. And you season the pork butt in advance with like a dry rub. And then you just put the beans into a Dutch oven with a certain amount of water, season it, you put the pork on top and you just put it in the oven. And the time it takes for the pork roast to get really tender, the beans cook through. And then you kind of take that out and just put the pork roast back by itself at a higher heat until it gets crispy. Mm -hmm. And it's like falling apart and the beans are really creamy and delicious. And then that you could just serve with like a giant salad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The other good. dish um, is this roast. I can't remember what I call them, but they're roasted chicken legs and thighs. I saw this one. Yeah, I was eyeing also that. Also in a sheet pan with like canned tomatoes, red onion, canned chickpeas, a really quick dry spice, mm -hmm. a lot of olive oil, and it just roasts kind of like not super high heat. You want everything gets like really caramelized and jammy and the chicken's really tender. Mm -hmm. That the first time I made it was actually for a dinner party that I didn't um I didn't know what I was going to make. And it was like 3.30 PM and I was still at work. And I was like, <laughs> people are coming at 7.30. Like I need to figure, like I have to pick stuff up on the way home. And that was a really fun one to develop because I wasn't thinking about the book at all. I was just like throwing stuff together from my pantry and, and, it, and I loved how it came out. And so then I was like, oh, this is going in the book. I'm adding it to the list. Mm -hmm. but that one's great too it feeds a lot of people you can easily scale it up um yep. and then you have the chickpeas the tomato the onion and the chicken all coming off of that so like mm -hmm. you could make you could serve it with crusty bread you could do like yeah. a big pot of rice like it doesn't it's super the sides are super easy yeah yeah no yeah. that's that's perfect that i great. i i'm obsessed with chicken thighs i love yeah. i love roasting <laughs> chicken thighs whatever it's like easy go-to um did, did you have any other questions before? Oh, we should, oh yeah. Um, do you want to ask this one or should I? <laughs> what, what's your big, I'm, I'm always fascinated by like cooking disasters. Like, do you have any like big cooking disasters where just <laughs> nothing, nothing seems to go right? Totally. I mean, I think that every recipe developer, you know, the road to success is paved with mistakes well handled. It's like, yeah. <laughs> you can't get to a good place until you make mistakes and like the what's great about you know having cookbooks is that hopefully that person has made the mistakes along the way so that you don't have to yeah. and has also figured out like what things can go wrong and solved for them in the next iteration or the you know the version after that or the version after that but as a caterer uh, i was a private chef and caterer like in between line cooking and I guess it was really between my first and second restaurant jobs I was private chefing and catering and like the first big 
gig I got was somebody's like 40th birthday party and the wife was throwing a big huge like house party with this like very gorgeous like opulent buffet on the thing and she hired me to do it and I think I was in the house like 15 minutes and I set <laughs> I set a fire in the broiler like <laughs> a full fire because she it wasn't totally my fault but I turned the broiler on and she had like a bunch of newspaper it's like one of those broilers that pulls out from the bottom of the oh and i think she kept like she never used the broiler and she would keep newspaper down there to catch like drippings from any hit i mean i like turned it on turned around there was like flames coming out of the bottom of the and i was like oh this is a great start like we had to air (laughs) out the whole house i was like i just set your house on fire cool so yeah, just a lot. I have yeah, lots of things like that. Oh I'm gosh. sure. I'm sure it happens. Wow. Yeah. 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 So, what's your go-to cocktail? Mm. Um. There's a couple. Yeah. I was in a really big gin and tonic phase, like all summer and into the fall. Mm-hmm. Um. But my my real go-to for just like a light kind of pre-dinner is an Americano, which is um, equal parts red vermouth and a bitter like Campari, and then topped off with, um, you know, over ice topped off with seltzer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love any like any spritz. And then you can just like riff on that, like switch the Campari out for a different Amaro and mm-hmm. try like Cokey Americano instead of sweet vermouth. And yeah, you can kind of never get sick of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, we love, mm-hmm. we love messing around with spritzers and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, we should probably dive into the movie a bit for sake of time. Sure. Actually, first of all, before we get into this movie, um, you mentioned that the food in movies can sometimes irritate you. Um, <laughs> like with, and, and then with this movie, it didn't, are there any movies that come to mind where like the food was just, just like the way it was presented, just like really got on your nerves? Um, like in, um, Bridesmaids, which is an amazing movie. There's not a bad scene in that movie, except the scene where she's like making the cupcake at home. It's it's so, it's like so obvious that it's not her hands, you know? And like, she's making one cupcake. Like that's not, you can't make one. Like you're (laughs) dividing an egg into like quarters. Like what? (laughs) And then it's like this, you know, this whatever she makes like a sugar flower and does the thing and then and then like eats this one cupcake and it's just like no one does that, you know, so totally that one. And then yeah, any movie, this happens a lot in TV shows too, where they're like in a restaurant kitchen. Mm-hmm. And it's like everybody has like a bandana on. <laughs> <Just> like. <laughs> It's just not real, you know? Yeah. So no, that's I get it, but yeah. Like, um, and Friends, when Courtney Cox was a caterer. Oh, like, yeah. So silly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so so f- in terms of Parasite, um, you know, how was your first time watching this movie? Because it really did, like, take over the world for a while after you know like up until the oscar race and everything it was just totally there was some mania around it 
I think I was really lucky because I saw it pretty soon after it was released. I saw it in the movie theater and I didn't know that much about it. I just knew that it was like, everybody was like, it's amazing. And people were like, and it gets really intense at the end. But so I went into it, like not knowing the plot, not knowing anything about it. So I feel really lucky for having that experience. But it's like a holy fucking shit movie. You know what I mean? It is, first of all, the house is so incredible. The acting's so incredible. It's so beautiful. And then like the narrative is, in, it's insane. <laughs> the, the end of the scene with the Ramdan, that scene happens when they discover that there's a fucking person living in the basement. <laughs> You know, like that scene is when the family posts up in the house and they're just drinking all of the scotch and the cognac and like going for it and imagining like their life, you know, living there, really that it's their house, which is so bold of them. First of all, they're, but they're, 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 uh, the whole thing is so bold. Like they're, everything they've done is so bold, but then it like turn, it goes like, into like they're really violating their privacy and their space yeah and then the ex-housekeeper shows up and that's scary and then the discovery of what's going on downstairs is like scary and crazy plot twist but then the family returns so then it shifts over into like concealing this whole thing i mean that one stretch of the movie is like it really (laughs) a lot happens and then right in the middle she like makes this makes this dish that actually really does look real you know but before she can cook she has to go over to the kitchen island and she just (laughs) everything into the trash (laughs) and it's so stressful yeah 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 no it's insane that whole that whole sequence in the middle of the movie because I, i i I still remember the first time I watched it. And um, I think I think you think it's going in the direction of like, they're gonna replace the family, like, mm-hmm. which I forgot about until this watch. And I remember that I was kind of thinking that mm-hmm. way. You're like, well, they were asking for like the home deed and like social security no- or like yeah. social yeah. security numbers. You're like, are they gonna really yeah. replace this family? Yeah. But and then and and then you start going this other way. You, you start and and it shifts it shifts with your like sympathy for the poor family too because at yes. first you're like, these people suck and then you're like this rich family sucks even more. Yeah. So it's what a, just what a fascinating pivot and what a like a and 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 then I remember being at that point in the movie and just being like, there's an hour left of this. Like, right. What are they right. going to do after this? Yeah. I was so riveted. So then I rewatched it once we like chose to, you know, chose to talk about this and chose this dish. And I went back and rewatched it. And I was as riveted, if not more, on second viewing, even knowing everything that's coming. It's so incredible. It's so incredible. There's not a moment that you're just not like having your mind blown. Um, And then and then it occurred to me watching it the second time. I'm not like a movie, I'm no movie expert. I enjoy movies, but like, I'm not, I don't know what I'm talking about, but you know, on the face of it, it's just like an upstairs downstairs. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're like, okay, I get it. It's an upstairs downstairs sort of trope, 
Yeah. And, and, and in such literal ways, like they live in that, you know, subterranean sub basement and, you know, the family's house is like up this big hill and like, it's constantly happening in the movie that like, there's an up and a down. Um, but then there's like an extra <laughs> and there, there's the another down. further down, <laughs> really down, um, <laughs> really down. But, but it made me realize like the, the upstairs downstairs part of it, the, the, the class differential there, you know, their different standing in society is kind of the most obvious part about it. Right. Like it's not actually what carries the movie. What carries the movie is the, the narrative and the story of what, what's actually happening. No, which totally. is, you know, which is, is really like the, all of the momentum is about this thing unfolding this, like, you know, scam and then the violence. <laughs> yeah. I was watching it and like, I was, oh, I was watching it by myself, but when, and when you watch it home, you get to, to like take a bathroom break. And then like, I was going into my, and my husband was in the other room and I was like, this like, cause we watched it together. <laughs> I was like, bro, you need to rewatch this movie is insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I've totally been there. Um, oh yeah, Paige, go ahead. Yeah. Um, I've, have you seen the movie High and Low? No. So I feel like, well, we were talking about this before. We felt like the um, that this movie took a lot of influence from High and Low. It's, um, uh, it's like a 60s Kurosawa Japanese yeah. movie. Mm. Yeah. But I think, I think Bong Joon has talked a little bit about it too. Oh, but, yeah? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, in, in, um, high and low, there's a big house on the hill, rich mm. there. And then, um, they have a chauffeur with, you know, and, and they both have children. And, and so it, it, there are a lot of similarities between the two and it's also, um, about class struggle and, um, yeah, but it's interesting because the second half of that movie takes a very different turn than, than mm. Parasite. And so mm -hmm. it's almost like they're setting it up the same, but then um, they take it totally different directions. Yeah, they both have this really like strong two act structure where this movie, I mean, like you're talking about after that scene, the rest of the movie takes place in maybe like 16 hours, you know? And, and, mm -hmm. and up until that movie, you have a, like a certain pacing. And then right. during that scene, you're like, we've never lingered this long on one night. And it's almost getting uncomfortable how long you're just with this family hanging out in the house. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're just sort of waiting for something to happen. And then, yeah. and then the doorbell rings. You're like, okay, <laughs> yeah. here we go. It, yeah, it's, yeah. it's crazy. It's, um, and that's also the scene, you know, later when they're hiding under the, the coffee table mm -hmm. and the, the rich dad is like smelling the smell again, you know, and he's talking about that, like, turnip like cooked turnip smell and like that and the whole family is under the table hearing him talk about it right in front of them um it's just like so such a devastating moment um and so embarrassing for the dad and just yeah it does it does turn but like they're you're right you're they're they're the bad guys right because they're pulling this scam but it feels like an innocent scam up until that point. And it then it's like, extent, yeah, yeah. It's like, what, a, you know, once they, they fire the, when they get rid of the, 
the housekeeper, that's when it's like, oh, that was maybe a step too far. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I like how like every step in the scam almost seems like it's taking it a step farther where obviously yeah. like the kid wants to go to college and he has good mm-hmm. intentions. And then he's like, okay, I'm just going to fake my certificate so I can actually teach this person English. Mm-hmm. But and she actually needs a tutor, like that position's open. Ideas. Yeah. 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 And then, and then, and then the daughter comes in and she's like, not at all qualified to teach art therapy. So mm-hmm. you're like, okay, but you know, like, I'm glad you're working. This is great. And then, and then all of a sudden they get the driver fired and then they get yeah. and then this yeah. woman's allergies against her. And then it's, <laughs> you're like, whoa. <laughs> oh my god they yeah i forgot when she just smushes the peach in her face yeah 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 interesting how it just snowballs and yeah at first you're like as as a viewer you're so um like you're definitely rooting for the for the um the poor family and then as it goes on you're kind of like you're still rooting for them there but then you're like should i be like yeah am i supposed to be but yeah it's like every single family member that gets hired is a little more like crass and bold than the last and yeah it's like keeps <laughs> like yeah getting it like just snowballs to the point where you're almost like okay something something has to collapse here yeah did you guys think there's anything significant about the fact that the the Ramadan, she's preparing it for the son because he's so disappointed that his camping trip has been ruined. And so in the car, they're like, she's like, oh, it's his favorite dish. Can you make this so that it's ready when we walk in the door? And then he storms off to his room. The dad doesn't eat. And it's just the mom. And she sits and eats like the whole thing um like symbolically did you guys think that was meaningful in a way that might have gone over my head I was thinking about this this yeah. time but then I yeah do you yeah. have any thoughts on that no me too um I didn't really flesh out my ideas on that one but I was definitely thinking about that and noticing it um I, it definitely feels like the mom is trying to like pull the family together and like keep everything together and she she definitely seems like exhausted by everything and um so it's almost like a release of that Mm -hmm. um but then again yeah she's kind of like picking up where her like you know her son doesn't want it um and so then she's kind of like okay well then see if my husband no okay then I'll just and so it's almost like she's the last person to get yeah you never see her indulge really ever she's so controlled mm-hmm. and she's so like perfect in her the way she dresses and her makeup and her presentation mm-hmm. and then she just like kind of gets down with this bowl of noodles like she's surprised at how like it's like very comforting to her mm-hmm totally mm-hmm. totally and i love the way she gets into it once she starts eating it yeah. but she'd never really ask for something for herself really right yeah yeah that would be my interpretation yeah. i mean it was i was thinking just just because we were doing a dish with this i was thinking about food so much during this uh this watch and sort mm-hmm. of how how with the rich family food is like food is an indulgence food is like 
like like they have like caterers for this last minute party mm-hmm. that they're doing and they're bringing out these fancy dishes and mm-hmm. and oh can you put like nice steak in that and then food for the poor people is like I'm gonna sneak out of the basement really quick and I'm just gonna like scarf down the- <laughs> and honestly the way that, that guy eats the banana I just like <laughs> can't get that yeah just well, when they them. first get some money, when the kids start working and they have some, they're flush for the first time that they, the first thing they do is like go out to eat mm-hmm. and like yeah. they're at a buffet and get, you know, like they can have seconds and thirds. Mm-hmm. It's also funny, the scene before the party, when um, the mom is doing the prep and the dad is driving her and doing all the errands with her and she's going through a supermarket and she's just like, picking things up and just like tossing them (laughs) over her shoulder into the cart, like on the phone, just like not even thinking about Mm -hmm. looking at prices or what anything. Yeah. What anything costs. Um, Yeah. It's just, it really makes me, I'm, I have errands in the city tomorrow. I live in Brooklyn. I like avoid going into Manhattan at all costs, but the one reason I really do love to go to Manhattan is for H Mart. So I've, I did a, I did some more, uh, Japuggery. Um, I'm sure I'm butchering the pronunciation research. And like, I have a screenshot from, a from, a, a mukbang video where they make the dish, but they make like six packages. Um, anyway, yeah. I have a screenshot that like very, clearly shows like what I need to be looking for. Yeah. The two versions, but I really want to make it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's super fun. It's, it's super Mm -hmm. easy to make. I mean, you really can kind of do it in eight minutes. If you're rushing, we probably did it like 15 minutes, but uh, (laughs) yeah, yeah, for us, like H Mart is, it's the closest grocery store to us. So we're like, Oh my God, lucky. I know we're like, we need to like get more Korean dishes Mm -hmm. to cook and like, you know, dive more into this. Cause like, Mm-hmm. you know they're not gonna have parmesan like right <laughs> so true so Paige and I were talking a lot about um the rock during mm. during this this watch just sort of like how he you know he he's presented with the rock and then he mm. carries he, he carries it around he's clinging to it at the end and then he eventually lays it in the river did you have any thoughts on that this watch I was trying I knew it was like something um but it's also, isn't it also the, a murder weapon? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, it's <laughs> yeah. an attempted murder weapon. Yeah. Right. 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 Because it's like what used on him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. At that point, I would set it free too. I would be like, <laughs> I, I don't. <laughs> You're like, I think I'm done with that. Yeah. That <laughs> I don't have any more positive associations with this. Yeah. <laughs> I think what yeah. we, I think what we, what we eventually came to the, cause we were going back and forth on like, is it, is it like, is it money? Is it wealth? Is it, I, I think yeah. greed, I think, I, I think it, I think it's like the, the dream of the family. Isn't that what you were saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I think we were kind of thinking was in the end, we thought it was like the dream of the like idealized life mm-hmm. or like their goals. Yeah, because it's like presented in this nice box with a stand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Eventually, it ends up just without its stand and in a bed of rocks. In the right. That, and it right. just blends in with all the others. And it's kind of like, which is interesting because it makes you feel like, oh, there's nothing special about this 
about this rock or maybe this right isn't the supposed to symbolize like becoming a scholar at the beginning when his friend gives it to him yeah i think it's yeah it's like it's It's a scholar it's a scholar stone it was to bring right wealth to their family something like that and he's nothing but bad luck yeah yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah, and he's literally and he's literally crushed by his dreams Mm -hmm. the other thing i noticed about it this this time is it is it literally there's a scene where it tumbles down the stairs in exactly the same way the family does and i was like that was weird i I was not yeah i didn't i didn't notice that the first time um this is definitely one of those movies where i wish i could watch it for the first time again yeah now i'm like anticipating certain scenes but yeah yeah. I would totally watch it again, like tonight. So <laughs> I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, it was really good talking yeah. to you. Um, I usually wrap up by having my guests say like a quote from a movie that they love in character. I don't know if you Ooh. have any, anything off the top of your brain. Um, oh my gosh, that's such a good question. Uh, um <laughs> this is the first thing that comes to mind i'm pretty sure it's in is it in goodfellas when joe pesci says fuck you you fucking fuckball yeah that's it. <laughs> I just, this is like so not i just taught that to my 12 year old <laughs> because it's weird like he's old enough now that like well it's okay if he like curses a little bit at home um and I love cursing. I think it's like one of the best, most expressive parts of being able to be fluent in a language. <laughs> and so we were just talking about fuck you, you fucking fuckball. It's a real classic. The yeah. Classic. Absolutely fantastic. Um, Carla, thank you so much for coming yeah. on. Um, you, you, you and like you and Samin Nostra are both like personal heroes of mine. Aww, just like thank teaching you. Me to, teaching me to cook and like dive into recipes and just like make mistakes and try anything. So like, I, I really appreciate you keep, keep cranking out the cookbooks and uh, thank you. I, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. It was really fun to do this and talk about movies for a change. Absolutely. Yeah.